This is an APS CIO note. August 2021. China ADR bubble popped? By Wang Ka Kui. Midas touch or blowing bubbles? Writing on China's post WTO economic success, American depository receipts of some of its companies have risen 18 fold since China ADR Sinacorp was listed in 2000. No wonder almost every ADR that has come to the market has been exuberantly received by Wall Street as yet another golden opportunity to make billions. Is it then a surprise that e-commerce companies could raise billions every year to fight a, quote, winless price war? Or that Chinese ed-tech companies focused on after-school tuition could raise a total of renminbi 130 billion between 2015 and 2020, of which half, or renminbi 65 billion, or USD 10 billion, was raised in 2020? More than USD 1 trillion of market value has been lost since February 2021 after China's recent regulatory crackdown on what it views as unhealthy, unsustainable business practices. Many Chinese internet giants, such as Alibaba, Meituan, JD.com, and Pinduoduo, have lost half their market capitalizations in just a few months. Naturally, some upbeat investors believe that those stock prices will inevitably bounce back, as bulls quickly calm down and regain their composure. Signs of bubbles manifest themselves when these six factors appear. One is a prolonged period of excess liquidity. Two is increasingly exuberant investors, who often would have made easy money for numerous years, and are flush with even more liquidity. 3. Earnings are beginning to slow down after years of strong growth. 4. Investors are less sensitive to valuations and prefer stories spun by management. 5. Market excesses are built up to the extent that policies are needed to address them. 6. Rising interest rates. The TMT bubble, the Japanese stock market meltdown, the Asian financial crisis, and the black tulip mania share the same characteristics. This short note examines some of the key factors underlying the recent correction in Chinese stocks listed overseas. Regulators, excessive business practices, variable interest entity structures, plus infectious investor exuberance in some popular ADRs and Hong Kong H shares. Regulators' fault? Most investors blame the recent market bloodbath on Chinese regulators' sudden draconian measures. They argue that as soon as the winds of arbitrary regulations stop blowing, the wheels of capitalism would roll on again. We would argue that regulators were forced to be heavy-handed by capitalism's unruly animal spirits which not only shook off laws and regulations, but also systematically created dislocations across industries that were starting to tear at China's social fabric. No policymaker in the world would change policy course if a successful economy was developing healthily. Why would they? Pay more for the same thing. 
When China's top leaders realized that the bulk of the USD 10 billion raised last year by both unlisted and listed edtech companies was used to poach teachers from public schools and to launch marketing blitzes to attract students, they feared the political, economic, and social consequences if nothing was done. Not only would parents end up spending a large part of their savings and income on their child's education. But they would also be disincentivized to have a second child. On top of that, private tutoring after regular school hours on weekdays, as well as on weekends and during school vacations, would inevitably add to a child's stress levels. President Xi Jinping had made repeated warnings over the past two years about the dangers of the quote commercialization of education, but those warnings fell on deaf ears. When the industry raised USD 10 billion in 2020, China's top leaders decided this had to stop immediately. Selling below cost. Another economic dislocation that has occurred for close to a decade is seen in the retail industry, which I have written about in the past. These excesses were not present before the arrival of e-commerce giants funded via overseas stock exchanges. They are quite out of the ordinary. E-commerce companies have raised billions every year to engage in senseless price subsidies or price wars. Last year, Meituan alone raised USD 10 billion to take on rivals, big and small, in a new retail format called quote, "community group buying" in groceries and fresh produce. Meituan's strategy was to use the new capital raised to kill off its rivals. And swiftly take a dominant market share, like what it had done in all its past businesses. Products were sold below cost. For example, a dozen eggs were sold for 1.2 yuan. To policymakers in Beijing, outselling other community group buying companies and more importantly, mom and pop grocery shops is a waste of precious capital. There is no value add to the retail sector from this kind of corporate behavior. Consumers can perhaps benefit in the short term from subsidized prices, but will not eat more rice nor use more cooking oil in the kitchen. Many mom and pop shops were casualties fallen by the wayside after such senseless price wars. As soon as they achieved monopolistic positions, the giants would increase prices, as manifested in the ride-hailing and food delivery businesses. No wonder regulators have acted so decisively and issued repeated warnings this year. Play the capital market game: the road to billions. Why is private capital so prodigiously and extravagantly enthusiastic to part with their capital for companies with grayish or illegal company structures and dubious business models? Could it be the allure, magic, and greed of Wall Street? Wall Street investment banks would enthusiastically bring loss-making Chinese internet companies, never mind their short track records, to list in U.S. stock markets. PDD, an online retailer of low-priced products in rural areas, IPO'd three years ago after its founding. Investors have since given the company a total of USD 14 billion to fight price wars. It might make losses of more than USD 1 billion this year. From an already lofty valuation, 
Enthusiastic investors bid up the stock tenfold in three years. The company's unaudited Q2 results in mid-August showed a small profit of USD $374 million relative to its market cap of USD $100 billion. Nevertheless, after the results were announced, the stock surged more than 20% to gain USD $20 billion in market capitalization. Such is the euphoria still among Chinese e-commerce investors. Investors are hoping that even after price subsidies dry up, sales will stay at current elevated levels and, by some fortune, generate enough profits to justify its February 2021 valuation of USD $250 billion, despite these subsidies previously propping up the strong top-line growth. PDD is no longer a market darling, with its stock price having dropped two-thirds in six months. However, it is still valued at USD $120 billion. It may be a genius at selling, but it has hardly built any core competency, as its fixed assets amount to just USD $145 million. Few investors ask whether the company will still be able to sell similar volumes of rice and cooking oil to its price-sensitive consumers when the time finally comes for the company to sell those items for a profit, no matter how small. Will that time never come? To us, it is telling that the all-in-one founder, chairman, and CEO retired early this year at the ripe old age of 41 years having yet to guide the company to its first annual profit. Is it unreasonable to posit that e-commerce companies, the founders, senior management, and key shareholders, had been building businesses to game the capital markets rather than building a viable business? As soon as the route to an IPO is judged to be blocked, companies quickly decided to shut down their businesses, despite being only a few years old. If companies are set up to make a quick buck via a Wall Street IPO, rather than to build a profitable business, investors should brace for more turbulence. Policymakers had watched this with disdain and worry. They had warned of the business excesses and the wastage of capital, but their warnings had fallen on deaf ears, as the get-rich-quick siren song had been too strong to resist. Consolidation has just begun. Price subsidies, except for the provision of public goods underwritten by the government, cannot continue forever in the business world. Other casualties have already emerged in recent months. Out of the original three major community group buying platforms existing before e-commerce firms entered the industry, one, Dongcheng Shenghuo, has filed for bankruptcy. Another old name, Shihuituan, is consolidating. It announced around mid-August that businesses in Shenyang, Harbin, Xingdao, Fuzhou, Naning, Hangzhou, and many more will be shut down to preserve cash, with up to 30-40% to 40% of staff in affected regions to be laid off. It has raised USD $1.3 billion in the last three years, of which USD $750 million was just raised in March 2021. Other players like Shishanghui, Maijia Maichai, 
and Baoning Fresh are reportedly in trouble. These companies seem to have reached the conclusion that the game is over. Confidence is evaporating quickly. In June, Miss Fresh and Ding Dong rushed their IPOs. Miss Fresh's stock price crashed 32% on its debut and has since halved from its debut price, a disastrous IPO for a Chinese e-commerce company. Ding Dong, whose IPO came four days later, had to chop its offering size by 75% to raise a paltry USD 100 million. These two IPO fiascos showed that investors' euphoria and enchantment with online e-commerce companies of any format had taken a hard knock, and so have the capital market animal spirits of the founders and management staff. As both companies suffer negative margins of 30 to 50%, it remains to be seen whether they can turn their losses around. Hong Kong-listed Kuaishou, a Chinese short video company pivoting to e-commerce, tripled at its IPO debut in February. February might well have been the apogee of investing in Chinese internet stocks. Today, Kuaishou is languishing at 40% and 83% respectively below its IPO and peak prices. JD Health, an online retailer of Western and Chinese drugs, nutrition products, and healthcare products, was valued briefly at USD 80 billion, but has since lost USD 54 billion of its value. Both are loss-making companies. Outside of China, however, Euphoria is still running rampant. In Southeast Asia, a leading e-commerce company, C Limited, is well-loved by investors. Despite never having made a profit and on schedule to incur losses of USD 1.4 billion this year, the stock is currently valued at USD 170 billion. Its equity of USD 3.6 billion might last it another two years at best. The fathers of value investing will roll in their graves if they learn that a USD 170 billion company has a margin of safety of only two years. Some may argue that companies like these can raise more capital from banks or shareholders when this equity is depleted. However, Shareholders of Hertz and many others in the past have learned that bankers and shareholders can change their minds rather quickly. One wonders what the magic sauce is in online retailing, where companies could create value north of USD 100 billion each over a short period of five to seven years. Is it a new retail paradigm or simply a bubble? In our assessment, the consolidation of China's e-commerce industry has only just begun. The bleeding will continue. Some will have to restructure, some downsize, and some shut down. With the current downbeat mood, private equity and venture capital investors are quite unlikely to give them fresh capital. Public market investors are also unlikely to show much enthusiasm for future IPOs even if they are priced at much lower valuation levels than past IPOs. In our view, this is the new reality. However, if our assessment is incorrect and e-commerce companies go on to mint billions in profits to justify their lofty valuations, 
Then, stock prices 2021 nosedive would be a mere steep correction. Pricing risk, VIE structures. In addition to dubious business practices and market excesses, ADR investors have another worry, VIEs. About 200 China ADRs out of 300 have VIE structures. The VIE construct was designed about two decades ago to circumvent China's ban on foreign investments in telecommunications, the internet, and other sensitive industries. At best, they are grayish, and at worst, they are outright illegal. Both the CSRC and SEC had recently stated their concerns and are reviewing the construct. Two key risks. One is the ban of such structures, either by the Chinese government or the U.S. government, or both. Two is the enforceability of the legal agreements signed amongst the operating company, the Chinese shareholders, and the tax haven companies. In legal disputes, will the Chinese courts recognize these agreements, which patently infringe Chinese laws and regulations? Has investors' exuberance blinded them to this legal risk? If it is a risk that they are willing to take, have they demanded a sufficient risk premium? Some may argue that investing 10% of a portfolio in VIE stocks is a risk worth taking, but investing 30-40% to would require a more robust rationale. Next Regulatory Move Some investors are nervous about the regulators' next moves. Which industries, companies, and tycoons will be targeted? Others think this to be a witch hunt that will end soon. Consequently, many investors have adjusted their antenna to face Beijing. We have a different take. We believe that the business consolidation, including compliance with the law and regulations, has a long way to go. The correction of capital market excesses also has some distance to go. On the market excesses, which were evident for investors who bothered to see and which we had warned of, it is ironic that it was the regulators who fired the first warning shots at businesses and investors. In our view, studying and understanding the business excesses and the time needed to correct them, estimating their fair values and hence the extent of overvaluation of some stocks, are perhaps more instructive and profitable than attempting to predict the next regulatory move. Regulators themselves are looking for the industry violations and wrongdoings, business improprieties, and malpractices, including gig worker exploitation and capital markets excesses. As I noted in the CIO note, black, white, or healthy cat earlier this month, after decades of laissez-faire capitalism, It is fair to say that China's regulations are behind the curve when compared to most developed countries. Frankly, I can't think of another country which has practiced laissez-faire capitalism as religiously as China in the last three decades, where the private sector has been allowed to develop and grow with light regulatory touches. There is absolutely no evidence that recent regulations are intended to slow growth much less stifle entrepreneurship and innovation. 
Rather, it is intended to ensure that companies apply healthy business practices while complying with laws and regulations, instead of engaging in short-term capital market games and the like. Conclusion All said and done, we concede that some ADRs do have decent businesses and are priced reasonably. Alibaba and Tencent might be in this category, although regulators have probed some of their monopolistic practices and had taken action against them. In addition, one-third of China ADRs have more common corporate structures. However, for the remaining ADRs with VIE structures, investors must be mindful of the risks and must wait for more regulatory clarity. Also, it is quite inconceivable that many of these stocks will continue to power ahead with, quote, Powell liquidity, when the excesses which the regulators are now watching closely are not yet fully curbed. That said, predicting the timing of the bursting of the bubble is a difficult task because it is impossible to build a model to predict investor exuberance, despite advances made by behavioral finance scientists in the past decade. It is perhaps good enough for discerning investors to be aware of the whereabouts of the minefields and steer well clear. Wong Ka Khoi The founder and CIO Wong Ka Khoi has 40 years of investment experience, including CIO at CityTrust Japan, Senior PM at Citibank Hong Kong, and Senior Investment Officer of GIC. He was the recipient of the prestigious Manbushu Scholarship in Japan and graduated with a Bachelor of Commerce Honors degree from Hitusubashi University, 1981. Mr. Wong completed the Investment Appraisal and Management Program at Harvard University, 1990.